So the book of Daniel is one of the books of Tanakh, of our scripture. In a class some time ago that we did about Tanakh, we explained Tanakh is our Hebrew scriptures, which include the Torah, which is the five books of Moses, five books, and then another 19 holy books. Um, those holy books are split into two parts. Eight of the books are called the books of prophets. The other 11 books are called books of writings. Daniel is one of the books of writings. It is not considered a book of prophecy. Although Daniel has visions, Daniel is not considered a prophet. He has visions, but he doesn't actually have God appear to him and give him instructions. So Daniel is not considered a prophet, um, but, but it is one of our holy books. Um, the story of Daniel is written in third person, not by Daniel himself. Um, so our sages say it was written by Daniel's colleagues, the men of the Great Assembly. Um, the Great Assembly was a group we've spoken about before. It should be a topic of a class, the men of the Great Assembly. Um, it was, um, they were a group of which Daniel was a member of um, sages, 120 sages, that canonized or chose the 24 books of our scripture um, as well as wrote the prayers and built the whole prayer structure that we have, as long as a number of other things that they instituted. So um, they wrote the book of Daniel based on Daniel's visions and stories. Um, and so the book of Daniel itself really has two parts to it. The first six chapters of the book tell us six stories about Daniel and his friends. And the next six chapters, is 12 chapters in total, are details of five visions that Daniel had. And so Daniel has these amazing spiritual visions, but they're not considered prophecy. Um, he was a great sage and a holy person um, who had great visions, and they are considered divinely inspired, and therefore part of our holy scripture, but they are not prophecy. Daniel's unique it's one uh, about half of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. Almost all the books of our scriptures are written in Hebrew. Um, the book of Daniel, as well as parts, half the book of Daniel, as well as parts of the book of Ezra, are written in Aramaic, which was the language that the Jews spoke during the Babylonian exile. To put Daniel in historical context, Daniel lived about 2,400 years ago. Um, in a period known as the Babylonian Empire and later the Persian Empire, Persian Mead Empire. Um, this was a time between the destruction of the first temple and the building of our second temple. So Daniel um, was a young man or a child at the destruction of the first temple and possibly lived to see the building of the second temple. We don't know if he did or not. Esther, the story of Esther happened during the same period, yes. Esther happened the same period. Ezra was a drop later. Um, the books of Chagas, Zechari, Malachi were also during that same period. So, um, so the story of Daniel starts with four princes who are captured from Judah. They are princes from the royal family of Judah, of David. They are called, they are, the four princes are Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these four princes, like many princes from captured, in the, captured, in the, uh, from captured lands of the Babylonian Empire, are taken to the Babylonian court in Babylon, where they are raised in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Nebuchadnezzar was the 
Babylonian, the great Babylonian emperor who built the Babylonian Empire. And um, he um, took princes and raised them in his palace, as, as many other em- emperors would do, as essentially hostages, so that these nations or their leaders would not rebel, and then also to raise them as royal subjects, um, as royal leaders, with the goal of them later being leaders within the Babylonian Empire. So these four children are all given Babylonian names. Daniel is given the Babylonian name Belshazzar. That's the name he's given, which is the name of a Babylonian idol. Now the four boys were told refuse to eat non-kosher food in the palace. They cannot eat the king's food. So Daniel, on behalf of the boys, uh, goes to the person in charge of the princes that were in the palace, the foreign princes, and asks for permission to just eat fruit and nuts that were kosher, rather than eating the food from the palace. The person in charge refuses. He says, I would be happy to do it, but I'm afraid that you will be weak. And you will not grow, and then I, who am in charge, will get into trouble. So Daniel says, let's try it for 10 days. We'll eat fruit and nuts for 10 days and see what happens. They try it for 10 days, and after 10 days, the boys look stronger and healthier than all the other boys, all the other young princes in the palace. And so the fellow in charge agrees to allow them to continue eating um, just fruit and nuts. And indeed, um, they grow up in the Babylonian palace in the Babylonian court eating just fruit and nuts um, and they grow better healthier looking and uh, more handsome than all the other young princes and they are the wisest um, they are the wisest of all the princes um, and Daniel especially is the wisest of them all they all then grow up and become officers in the Babylonian court that's the first story first chapter of the book of Daniel the next story Daniel is already an adult now. He is already an advisor uh, or a member of the Babylonian court. One day, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a horrible tyrant and emperor, wakes up after a bad dream. But he cannot remember his dream. So he calls his advisors and his wise men, and he asks them, tell me your dream, tell me my dream, and tell me its meaning. And so they say, your majesty, if you tell us the dream, we can tell you the meaning. And he says, no, I don't remember the dream. Tell me the dream and tell me its meaning. And they say, there is nobody who can do that. If you tell us the dream, we can tell you the meaning. But no person on earth can tell you the dream. And he says, if you don't tell me the dream and its meaning, I will have you all killed. And they um, cannot help him. They don't have the dream or the meaning. And so he orders all of his advisors all killed. Daniel, one of the advisors, is unaware of what had happened, is gathered together with all the other advisors by the executioner. They are all being taken out to be killed. Daniel asks the executioner, what's going on? Why are we all being killed? And he is told that the Buchanetar, the emperor had a bad dream and he can't remember his dream and no advisor is able to tell him his dream so he ordered everyone killed. So Daniel says, give us one night and I will be able to help. So the executioner agrees to delay the execution one night. Daniel and his friends, Hanani, Mishan, Azariah, pray to God to 
to reveal to them the contents of the Buchanetzer's dream. Daniel has a vision that night where God reveals to him the contents of the Buchanetzer's dream. The next morning, he asked to be brought before Nebuchadnezzar, says that he can um, tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream and, his, and its meaning. He comes to Nebuchadnezzar, he tells Nebuchadnezzar that it is true, nobody can tell you your dream, no matter how wise they are, but God has revealed to me what your dream was. And this was your dream. You saw a giant statue. The head of the statue was gold. The chest and arms of the statue was silver. The stomach of the statue was copper. The thighs of the statue were iron. And the legs of the statue, one leg was iron and one leg was clay. And then a small rock came and rolled over to, rolled to the statue and smashed the bottom, the legs of the statue of iron and clay. And then the entire statue came tumbling down. And then, continued Daniel, Daniel, this is the meaning of your, this is the meaning of your dream. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of this statue. You have built this massive empire. Nebuchadnezzar built an empire stretching from India to Greece, the Babylonian Empire, all the way down to Egypt. Um, stretching much of what was then the known civilized world. Mass, uh, massive empire. You built this massive empire, you're the great king. But after you, your kingdom will fall. And another kingdom will rise. That is compared to silver. After that kingdom, there will be another kingdom. That kingdom is compared to iron. Uh, sorry, it's compared to copper. After that, a fourth kingdom will rise that is compared to iron. But then that fourth kingdom itself will then split. Split with another kingdom, a kingdom of clay. And the iron and the clay will continue fighting each other until a stone comes and that will be the, um, the Jewish savior, a Jewish king will come and he will destroy all the existing kingdoms and he will proclaim God's reign on earth and bring God and oh, then all of earth will then um, be under his reign and will recognize God's reign. Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed because Daniel had accurately remembered his dream and given him a great interpretation. Um, he appoints Daniel in charge of his empire. What? He appoints Daniel to be in charge of his empire, makes him the great, great minister in his empire. The meaning of this commentary say that this prophecy refers to four great kingdoms, four great empires that will rise. Starting with first the Babylonian Empire, after which there was the Persian Empire, followed which itself was then, um, was, then, was then destroyed by the Greek Empire, finally by the Roman Empire, which eventually became um, Christianity, which spread over much of the world. But then half of the Roman Empire fell to a new um, religion and group, um, the Muslims, the, um, the Islamic Caliphate, that then took over half of the world. And then Muslims and Christians continued to fight for many, many, many years. But then eventually, um, Moshiach, the Jewish, um, 
king will come and take over the world and bring God's reign back to the world. Yes. Um, in our history, uh, when the angels went to uh, Abraham, uh, they were really God, I think. And so Mashiach might, the, the Jewish Mashiach might also be God. No, Mashiach, Mashiach is a person. Yes, we did a class about that some time ago, but we could talk about later why we believe Mashiach is a person. So, the next story of Daniel, that's story number two, there's six stories. The next story in Daniel does not involve Daniel himself, but it involves his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Nebuchadnezzar builds a gigantic statue, an idol, and he instructs everybody in his kingdom to bow down to this idol. And every nation, every people has to send representatives to this great gathering where everyone's going to bow down to the idol. Um, and whoever does not bow down to this great idol will be thrown into a furnace. And it's not clear why Daniel is not part of this story. The Talmud, other commentaries debate as to what exactly happened to Daniel, whether Nebuchadnezzar left him alone, or Daniel managed to hide, or exactly what happened. But Daniel's friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all there. And when all the people from all the different nations in the Babylonian Empire who were there all bowed down to this great statue, three people remained standing. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They refused to bow to this statue. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He had all three of them thrown into a furnace. They were thrown into a furnace and miraculously they were not harmed. Nothing happened to them. They all survived. And he asked them to come out of the furnace. At first he wanted to worship them. They said, do not worship us, but worship God who has saved us miraculously from this furnace. Next story, the fourth story in the book of Daniel, is written in the form of a letter um, written by King Nebuchadnezzar to the people of his empire. And he writes the following letter to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, some years ago, I had a dream. And in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a giant tree that reached the sky. And its branches spread across the earth. And then an angel came and ordered that the tree be cut down. All the way down to its stump. But he left the stump, which was lowly like the beasts of the field. And it remained there with the beasts of the field for seven years. And so Nebuchadnezzar had called Daniel and he asked Daniel, his great advisor, to interpret his dream for him. At first Daniel refused. He was afraid to interpret the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar reassured him, no, tell me whatever it is, even if it's something very bad, I want to hear it. And Daniel said, the meaning of this dream shall be on your enemies, but this is for you. The tree represents you, the great emperor Nebuchadnezzar. You have built an empire that covers all of the earth. You have built this great massive empire, but you have grown too haughty and too arrogant. And you have caused harm to too many people. And so therefore God will punish you, that you will go crazy and you will become like a beast of the field. And you will lose your kingdom. And after that, uh, and you will be like a beast of the field for seven years, only afterwards you, afterwards you will come back and reclaim your kingdom. But then Daniel had a suggestion to Nebuchadnezzar. 
He said, you can avert this terrible prediction in one way. If you give lots and lots of charity to the poor, especially to poor Jews, if you give them charity, God will not punish you. And so Nebuchadnezzar opens his storehouses and gives lots and lots of charity to the poor, particularly to poor Jews. And he does this for 12 months. But after 12 months, he stops giving charity. And one day he is on top of his, on the roof of his palace, and he is thinking of his greatness and his great self and admiring his great city that he built and his kingdom and his empire. And he hears noises below, sounds of poor people knocking on the palace gate, asking for money. And at that moment, God um, decided to make, make Nebuchadnezzar crazy. And he went totally crazy and act, started acting like an animal. And so he was thrown out of his palace and he lost his empire. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar wandered around in the wild like an animal, um, growing his hair long and eating the grass of the field, acting like an animal. And uh, that's a good question. It, the book of Daniel doesn't tell us. Uh, the Talmud tells us that his son, Evil Merodach, was um, running the kingdom. He later got into big trouble for that, says the Talmud. So. That's a cliffhanger. Don't just leave us there. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll fill you in. So the, the Talmud says that Evil Merodach um, took over the kingdom. For seven years. Then Nebuchadnezzar reappeared. And he re reclaimed his crown. They gave it back to him. And he was furious that his son had taken his kingdom without his permission. So he put Evil Merodach in prison. And he was in prison for the rest of Nebuchadnezzar's life. And after Nebuchadnezzar died, Evil Merodach was taken out of prison. And declared, became emperor of the Babylonian Empire. And when he was taken out of prison, we are told in the... Um, we are told in the... Um, in the book of Jeremiah and um, uh, in, the book of, um, uh, in the book of Chronicles that, uh, that um, when Avil Merodach came out of prison, he took out with him Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim had been one of the last kings of Judea who um, had been captured by Nebuchadnezzar the first time he captured Israel. And um, he had been taken um, as captive and for more than 30, 37 years, he sat in prison, um, in Babylonian prison. And um, when Avil Merodach came out of prison, he freed Jehoiakim as well, and um, appointed Jehoiakim as the king of the Jews of the Babylonian Empire, and um, a, job, a position known as the Reish Galuta, king of the Jews, or in English, Exilarch. And that was a position that the leader of Jews in Babylonia, it was kind of an autonomous state they had in Babylonia, that lasted um, for well over a thousand years. Um, that was a position that lasted and went from father to son, descendants of the house of David. The Talmud says the reason why Avil Merodach took Jehoiachin uh, uh, out of prison and appointed him king of the Jews was because he met him in prison. Uh, he had spent time. They had done their time together. So um, anyway, back to our story. Um, so, so, the, so Nebuchadnezzar eventually does regain his kingdom. The next story in Daniel, um, this is story number five. The next story of the book of Daniel jumps forward many decades, up to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. 
After Vilmorodach dies, his son Belshazzar becomes king of um, becomes king of uh, the Babylonian Empire, and Belshazzar makes this great feast for all the nobles of the Babylonian Empire. And he asks in the feast that the utensils of the holy temple that had been destroyed almost 70 years earlier be brought and they will eat and drink um, from the, using the utensils of the holy temple. It doesn't tell us why. Um, the Talmud says that Belshazzar, that uh, Jeremiah had predicted that, there would be, that um, the exile would be 70 years. It had been 70 years from the establishment of the Babylonian Empire by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he believed that since 70 years had passed, and the, uh, or was the end of the 70 years, and Israel, the temple had not been rebuilt, and Israel had not been freed, he believed that um, that was a sign that Israel would never be freed. So anyway, he makes this great feast. And in the middle of the feast, a hand suddenly appears and begins to write on the wall. You've heard the words, the writing on the wall. That's, of course, where this comes from. And so everyone is shocked. There are these words now. This hand wrote these words on the wall out of nowhere. And nobody knows what it means. And so the queen suggests that they bring Daniel. He's the wisest man in the kingdom. Have him interpret what it means. And so Daniel comes and he explains that this the writing on the, the words on the wall read, mine, it was in a code, but it reads, mine, mine, tekal o parkin, which is Aramaic, which uh, for counted, counted, guilty, and split. And what it means is that your days have been counted, and your days have been counted, and you have been found guilty, the Babylonian Empire has been found guilty, and therefore your kingdom will be split or will be destroyed. You will lose your kingdom. And um, so the prediction is that Belshazzar and the Babylonian Empire will collapse. And indeed, that night, Belshazzar is killed. And the Persian Mede, uh, the Persian Mede um, kingdoms, um, led by Darius and Cyrus, take over, capture the Babylonian Empire, ending the period of the Babylonian Empire, ushering in a new period known as the Persian Mede Empire. So now the um, Persian Mede Empire, which was a partnership between the um, Persia, um, led by Cyrus, and uh, Media, um, two nations um, that had been part of the Babylonian Empire that had rebelled and taken over the empire and uh, Media, uh, which was led by Darius, who was Cyrus's father-in-law. Um, and so um, Darius, or in Hebrew, Daryavash, the Mede, becomes emperor of what was called Parasumadai, the Persian Mede Empire. And, of course, he makes Daniel, who had predicted his rise, um, and the rise of the Persian Mede Empire, he makes him his minister and his advisor. Now, other ministers are jealous of Daniel. And so they come up with a plot to remove him. They tell Darius, you have become the greatest empire, emperor of ever, uh, uh, to have ever ruled, and everyone needs to recognize your greatness. So you shall make a decree that for 30 days, if anyone needs anything, they cannot ask any other person, and they cannot ask any other god, they can only ask the emperor. 
Anything you need, you can only ask the emperor. So he essentially outlawed praying. And anyone who does ask somebody else for something will be thrown into a den of lions. And um, Daniel was unfazed by this decree. He goes upstairs to the upstairs of his house, which presumably was a synagogue. He faces Jerusalem and he continues to pray as he always had three times every day. And of course, this is our, at least this is the one biblical source that we have for the ancient Jewish concept of praying towards Jerusalem three times every day. The ministers come, they find Daniel praying, they report him to Darius. Well, Darius loved Daniel. He has no choice but to throw Daniel to a li- into the lion's den. He throws him into this pit with lions, covers it with a, with a big stone. He comes back in the morning. Miraculously, Daniel is sitting there with the lions all around him. Daniel has not been harmed. He has Daniel um, pulled out of the, Daniel um, comes up out of the lion's den um, and he calls the ministers that had reported Daniel and he says, look, look what a holy man that you tried to harm. He was in the lion's den and nothing happened to him. And the ministers said, yes, that's because the lions were not hungry. So Darius said, let us see. And he has them all thrown into the lion's den. And as soon as they are thrown in, they were all eaten by lions. Darius then recognizes the greatness of God. So that is the first half of the book of Daniel, these six stories that we have just told, all great stories in their own right, many of which you may have heard before. Uh, Many of these stories have um, seeped into our popular culture um, in one way or another. The second half of the book of Daniel, that's the first half, of the book of Daniel. The second half of the book of Daniel speaks about Daniel or Daniel's own visions. And it speaks of five different visions that he had. Um, in the first vision, he sees the wind from the four corners of the earth battling over the ocean. And then a lion comes out. Of the, comes out. And then the lion is followed by a bear. The bear is followed by a leopard. And the leopard is followed by a ferocious animal with large teeth that Daniel doesn't recognize. And then God comes and destroys all those animals and rules over the earth. And Daniel awakes and he understands that these four animals are the four empires that will rule the world. And of course, this is parallel to Nebuchadnezzar's earlier dream. And until that will rule the world until God eventually destroys them all. He then sees a similar vision, and he dates this vision to the days of King Belshazzar when he's still in the Babylon, still in Babylonian times. And in this time, <coughs> first he sees a ram come up, and then he sees a goat that comes, and this goat goes and destroys the ram, and then the goat itself is split into four different parts. And then those parts themselves are destroyed. And then Daniel gives us the meaning of this vision. He says the ram, he is told that the ram is a great empire that will follow the Babylonian empire. This is before it happened. Um, the Persian Mede empire, which will rise off the Babylonian empire. 
But then the, Babylon, the Persian Mede Empire will be destroyed by another empire represented by the goat, which will be the Greek Empire. But the Greek Empire will only have one ruler. And after he dies, that ruler will split, that empire will split into four different empires. And he says that, and this is all, of course, many years before the Greek Empire. Our tradition is that the book of Daniel was written long before Alexander and long before the Greek um, conquest. And so he then continues with a number, but he does mention Greece, and it's the only time that Greece is mentioned explicitly um, in the Greek ancestors I mentioned earlier in the Torah, um, in the portion of Noah, but Greece as a nation is mentioned here in Daniel. He continues to have many other cryptic visions predicting all sorts of different things. He sees many angels. Um, he is the only one in scripture to give us names for angels, two angels in particular. He names one angel Michael, and he names the angel Gavriel, both mentioned a number of times within Daniel's visions. Um, and so he discusses many, the many different visions. He sees all sorts of different things. At the very end, he speaks about different dates, this number of days, this number of days. At the very end, he says that the end of time, he studied and he analyzed it, and the end of time, he speaks of the end of time, um, which will be from the time that the sacrifice is removed, 1,290 days. And he then continues, praised is he who waits for 1,335 days. And with that, Daniel finishes the book. Now, many, many scholars, commentaries, from the days of Daniel himself, have tried to sit down and figure out and decipher the meaning of Daniel. One vision of Daniel is actually trying to decipher the vision of Jeremiah about the 70 years, um, 70 years of Babylon and 70 years of exile and what it means, which is something that they would have struggled with during the Babylonian exile. Um, now, after the fact, we know the Babylonian empire lasted for 70 years. There was a 70-year period from the destruction of the first temple uh, sorry, from the first exile, which was a number of years before the destruction of the temple, until Jews were allowed to go back to the land of Israel under King Cyrus, um, there was a uh, there was a seventy year period, and then there was again from the destruction of the second temple of the first temple until later the second temple was finally built or began to be built under a later king. Darius um, was again a um, was again seventy years. There's actually three different seventy years, which led to a lot of the confusion that we find in the book of Daniel um, earlier with Belshazzar, and then um, later in one of Daniel's prophecies. So many have tried to decipher the meaning uh, with all sorts of predictions of when the ends of time will come. And there have many, been many, many, many predictions. In almost every generation, there have been scholars who have spent much time trying to figure it out, trying to decipher it exactly when the end of time will come. And our history is full of these predictions of when the end of time will come, most of which have passed already. Just about all of them have passed already. I personally don't have any definitive explanation. 
And I cannot tell you when the time, when the end of times will come. I know some of you were expecting it, but I cannot help you. Which raises the question, what's the point then? What's the point of predicting it if nobody knows? Nobody truly knows. And all those predictions turned out to be incorrect. Or misunderstood, right? They were wrong. So what's the point? Who says we'll get it right? So... Yeah, but the dates don't seem to work. When those series of things begin, so it's a catch twenty two. Depends on how you count it. In hindsight, it's easy to see it, but to fi- in hindsight, it's easy to see. But to figure it out to start with is difficult. So the Talmud tells us that tipach rucham shall kitzim. Those who predict. The end, those who try to predict when the end of times will be, their spirit should rot. In other words, it's a bad thing. Don't try predicting the end of times. Which raises the question even further. Why do we then have the book of Daniel? Why does Daniel even give us all these predictions? What's the point? And why did so many Jewish scholars and other scholars over the years attempt to predict when this will happen? when the end of times will actually come. So clearly we don't know when it will actually be. Clearly all of our predictions are only possible. Nobody knows definitively when the end of times will come. Yet throughout the years, (laughs) many scholars made these predictions. Now what's notable about all the predictions that we've seen and almost every great Jewish scholar that commented on the book of Daniel attempted to explain it And somehow, almost every single commentary and scholar who tried to predict when the end of times will come came up with a date that was very, very close to when they lived. It's going to be very soon. So, And this is every single one of them. Came up with a date. Nobody said it's going to be in a thousand years. They all came up with a date very, very soon. In fact, the Talmud itself says, Kalu kolakitim, all the end predictions are over. In other words, we're at the very, very end of it all. And everyone predicted that we're at the very end. So, what's the point? Very good. The Rebbe himself said that today we are at the very end of times, ready at any moment for the coming of Moshiach. So what's the point? Each time we've predicted it, it's turned out wrong. With the benefit of hindsight, We know that none of them have worked. So now that doesn't mean that it's not coming. I should um, point out that the fact that you've been waiting for something for a long time doesn't mean it's not going to come. It just means you're still waiting, right? It only means you're closer. If you believe it's going to come, it just means you're getting closer. We don't know when it's going to come. But what's the point if they all turn out wrong? So Rebbe explained that there are... Why do we believe that there will be an end of times? That the prophecies are correct. That's, I guess, two parts to that question. One is, why do we believe in prophecy? Two, why do we believe that there will be the end of times, Moshiach will come, and we will, um, who will rebuild the temple and rule over the world? Those, those are two different questions. One is why we believe in prophecy. It really deserves its own class. No, she said in this prophecy. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm splitting it into two. So one is why we believe in prophecy in general, including Daniel. 
um, and Daniel's predictions. And that is, um, we believe, um, the Torah tells us that we should believe um, in prophecy in general. We have belief in prophecy. We believe Daniel was a very holy individual and um, would not have made stuff up if they weren't true. Um, and Daniel was not um, was a great Jewish leader. Um, I've explained in a previous class, I'm going to go very briefly into this, that um, all Jewish, all predictions and all prophecy um, and Ruach HaKodesh, divine spirit, um, that we do believe in in Judaism, has never been random people. It's always been great Jewish leaders and scholars. And that's very important. It's very crucial. So some crazy person who says that they are a prophet or they are the Moshiach, which we've had in every generation, and every community has them. Um, there's no end to them. Um, they have, uh, every community has them, and we've always had them, and we have records of them. Um, we don't pay much attention to them. But these are great Jewish leaders who are respected as great Jewish leaders and scholars, um, respected by all our people, and we do take their predictions seriously, and we do take their, um, their statements seriously. So yes, we do believe in what Daniel says. Um, the Torah does say that people can have prophecy and can be divinely inspired and will be. Um, elsewhere, we did do a class on Nevoah prophecy and divine inspiration, and... Um, Maybe we need it. We could discuss about it a little bit further afterwards. Now, another question, another part of that question, which is maybe what you were intending, is why are we certain that there will be an end of times? So, for one, that's not her question either. What is your question? My question is why do we believe that Daniel's prophecies are correct? Because we believe we believe in prophecy and in all of our prophets, including Daniel. We believe that Daniel was a true prophet and his prophecies are true. Because? Because we believe that in all of our great saintly holy leaders who have given us prophecy or divinely inspired information that we believe those things are true. Because the Torah tells us to believe that. Moses told us to believe prophecy. Why? Are you suggesting that Daniel was incorrect? No, that our understanding of what he's saying is wrong. Not even that. I'm wondering why do we believe that Daniel's prophecies are correct? So you're suggesting they're possibly incorrect. What? You're suggesting that they're possibly incorrect. Or, or that we misunderstand them. We definitely don't understand them. Okay. We definitely don't understand I think them. we agree with that. We def that's not a question. We, as I said, everybody who's attempted to explain them has been incorrect. Um, we do believe, he's very clear that he's predicting the end of times. Whatever he is saying, we believe is correct. We don't know what he's saying. Okay, okay now to get to the other part of the question that I thought you were asking, and I'll, get to, I'll take questions at the end. The, the, to get to the other part of the question, why are we certain that there will be an end of time? So I did a class about it 
a few months ago. So I'm not going to get into all the details, especially because we're running out of time. But in very brief, because it's important, we in Judaism believe that time is not eternal. Time is linear. In other words, has a beginning and has an end. And that's crucial because we don't believe, if you believe that time is eternal, there is no purpose of time. There is no purpose of creation, by extension, no purpose of our lives. We believe that there is a purpose in creation, a purpose of history, a goal in history, and a goal in every single one of our lives. And just as our lives has a purpose and we have a unique, distinct mission, so too history has a purpose and a unique, distinct mission. And therefore it has a beginning and it has as an end, a point when you reach that purpose. So we do believe in an end of time. It is one of the fundamental beliefs of Judaism. And more about that afterwards, or I can send, if anyone wants the recording of that class. Um, let, me just con- let me just conclude over here. So, um, so why do we have these calculations? What's the point of them? If ultimately they've all proven to be wrong, um, and what's the point of continuing to make these calculations? So Firstly, the reason why the Talmud said that um, people who make calculations, their spirit should rot, is because we should not overly obsess with making calculations. Some people spend years of their life making these calculations and are so obsessed with them. It's not healthy to be obsessed with these calculations. But the calculations are not a bad thing. And the reason is because we believe that Moshiach, or the end of times, can come at any moment. And so what these things do is they give you time saying that I predict that at this and this date, Moshiach is going to come. And so we need to, though, do our part to make him come. And so we need to prepare for it. We need to do the things that it takes. And so that is an extra push to, for us to do our role and make an extra effort to conclude our mission in order for that date to actually work out. The Rebbe suggests further that it may well be that God does not have a single date for the end of times, but rather God has many possible dates depending on our actions. So we could reach this date. This could be the one that turns out to be the right one if we act the way we should. And so therefore it is good to believe that Moshiach and we do, we should always await his coming and know that he can come at any moment, but we need to live up to it. We need to make sure our actions um, live up to that. Um, The Rebbe would always quote Maimonides who says that at every moment you should always look at the world at the very tip of the end. And that next one thing that you do can be the one thing that will tip us over um, to fulfill our mission. Um, it may just take one last thing. And so if you knew everything that you did, this may be the thing that it takes. Um, it, you would make sure to do everything that you're supposed to do exactly as you should. So that really, um, I believe, is the goal of Daniel. Not that we should ever truly know when the end is, because we don't. And to put it in perspective now, in hindsight, Daniel lived some 2,400 years ago. Had we known in Daniel's days that the end of times would not be for at least 2,400 years, we wouldn't be working very hard back then, right? So, um, because we knew we got a long way to go. So, uh, we were not supposed to truly know when the end is, yet we are supposed to have some glimpse of when it can possibly be in order to encourage us to continuously await for it and in order to encourage us to continually hope for it. Uh, so once again,